0: Hi friends, this is Shadima, also known as the Type A Hippie, and this is the Type A Hippie Podcast, Cheat Cast, episode 32. And I got a cool guest for this week, and it just kind of happened because he drove into Ann Arbor from Penn State. His name is Jason Whitney. He does a lot of research within the Collegiate Recovery Program space or Collegiate Recovery Group. Is that the other way it's known? I don't know. Um, And so he is in town doing some studying here in Ann Arbor, and I decided to swipe him and get him to talk to us, friends, about collegiate recovery programs, recovery in general, kind of new policy that may be coming down the pipeline in terms of a new administration and anything else we talk about, because, you know, we can talk. About a lot of different things so welcome to the podcast Jason so glad you're here so tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe how you came to what you're studying
1: yeah sure um so when I was 19 I got sober at the University of Colorado at Boulder and um, and I experienced recovery in college and At the time, there were not collegiate recovery programs, but Boulder was, as far as places that had really good young people's recovery, it was probably one of the better places in the country um, to to recover. Um, There was sort of uh, there was a campus group, um, a twelve step group on campus, and it's there were sort of sixty people that were going to the twelve step meetings who were attending University of Colorado and there was a pretty solid yeah really good for solid core group of about 25-30 students that were in recovery so that was a that was that just happened kind of um, organically because there were two long established 12-step groups that had been around for a long time.
0: That is so cool just because being back on a college campus but now I'm of age and older Mm -hmm. it seems like a lot of times students believe that everyone is drinking and partying right and that there are no sober people here or right. people not right. drinking for other reasons
1: yeah um, that was especially the case 25 years ago sure. um, when when this was all happening um, yeah there's a perception that you, that you go to, you go off to college and you just get swept away by this um, this culture um, Bo Cleveland Um, sort of coined this term abstinence hostile environment to describe colleges and he was describing kind of two things with that term. Uh, The first one was that yeah, people are going to ask you if you want to have a drink and they're going to directly try to get you to drink or do drugs um, with them And, um, and that's definitely true. I mean there's plenty of times where I was skiing and I had to sort of stand there while four people smoked a bowl, you know, smoked some pot you know, on the slopes and I just sort of stood off to the side and kind of just waited for them to finish smoking pot and it wasn't, it didn't completely destroy my day of skiing. It just was one of those things where, uh, where, you know, they would sort of ask me if I wanted to hit a hit of it, and I got asked to, to do a lot of different drugs and alcohol when I was in recovery. The other half of it though is that students in recovery often feel as though there's this constant expectation. Sure. That they should be parting, and um, even if they have a kind of a normal, good, boringish weekend, where they might have seen a movie, uh, go do some things, hang out with some friends, there's this feeling like there was a better weekend on to be had, sure, and that the people who were parting were the ones who were having that.
0: Yeah, I and I feel like even with. Older people so by older I mean people in their 20s that are well established no longer in school this idea of like FOMO like fear of missing out Mm -hmm. and With the advent of social media, right? It appears to be a bigger deal along with some of the residuals that come from that when you find out that perhaps you weren't invited to something that you thought, you know, if you were friends with people. But I'm sure that that plays into it of this idea of like, oh, what did I miss out on when I was doing this one thing?
1: Absolutely. I mean, the fear of missing out is, the, is, a, is a very powerful, uh, it's, a, it's a powerful trigger um, for a lot of students. And so this combination of um, being, having to explain yourself a lot Uh, Why aren't you drinking? Um, Do you want to come out with us? Um, Even spaces that are... um, sort of pride themselves on being inclusive. Um, We have a graduate um, uh, group that likes to discuss issues of inclusion and diversity. Sure. And they'll announce their meetings by saying, um, we promise nobody will be able to drive home afterwards, mm, right, and, yeah. uh, and, I, and so, um, and I, I sort of look at that, and I, with a, with a little bit of judginess, kind of like, well, great, you've made, managed to exclude me entirely from that thing, sure. you know, and, uh, right, and it's, there's an unconsciousness to it, um, and there's, that there, there to there's an unconsciousness to this sort of, um, to the culture.
0: Yeah. No, I, I do, I'm now in a role with the university where I'm doing some programming and so that's often come come up because I am kind of like, not, I wouldn't say all knowing, but like mm-hmm. I, I look at the entire picture and I say, just so that you know, if the focus is on this, like a happy hour type thing, you may be inadvertently excluding people who mm-hmm. are in recovery. And or don't drink for any number of reasons. And so just being mindful of that within. And these are grad and professional students, right? Because yeah. that's a thing too, you know. Yeah. What's easy to do in terms of like people getting together and multiple, I would say, professional schools, grad grad school programs, a lot of it is around like a happy hour, you know, like let's let off some seam and let our hair down and just because that's easy enough of an event to put together to literally throw together like oh we're just going here and you know everyone just join us when you're done with class or work or whatever so yeah I can totally see it now as a as someone in the professional field um, but working with students so so what are you studying Jason because I believe you are working on your PhD is that correct
1: that's right so uh, so uh, having been on the faculty at Penn State for 11 years, the lack of a PhD has dogged me um, tremendously, and um, and I have been... Is that like a yeah. positive
0: peer pressure, or is it just kind of like
1: a... It's one of these things where I'm, I'm an English, I'm an instructor um, in uh, secondary English education, okay. and I was a high school English teacher, Sure. and uh, sort of having taught English for 10 years and having three English degrees, um, I was able to get a position on the faculty at a great university. Mm -hmm. I'm the only person that I know of who doesn't have a PhD. And a big part of this was that, I, in my heart of hearts, I didn't, I could not identify uh, a topic in English education that I could study for sort of five years. Without sort of plugging my nose a little bit, mm-hmm. right? They're just I was I'm sort of excited about I'm excited about writing, I'm excited about narrative and things like that. Yeah. But it just, I, I kind of thought if I did get a PhD, I would have to sort of fake it and just to get the, um, to, just to get the piece of paper. Paper, right? And, uh, and I've since learned to have an incredible amount of respect for really anybody with a PhD. Um, i think when i when i set out i i think i thought that it was a um an empty credential at various levels um particularly in some of the social sciences mm-hmm. and i've since found that there's an incredible amount that um the, there's an incredible number of reasons to 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 pursue a phd mm-hmm. um well from the very least of which is that uh i was able to read research mm-hmm. um and what happened really um so let me just back up so when I was 19 I got sober and then I became um I graduated with a bachelor of arts in English had almost no idea what to do with that so I went off um on the job market and I found a job teaching English at a private school without a credential and uh and I taught at a school uh, for six years um and I was fairly successful uh, as a as a high school English teacher, and this was great news for me because I, you know, as a as a former hard drug user in high school, um, who did read a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, I, I was amazed that I was able to be successful um, in any official capacity whatsoever. So, uh, after sort of. So I think I, for a while I thought I was going to be a, a classroom teacher forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up moving out to um, Los Angeles for a little while and, um, and I worked um, in Hollywood for two years, um, mostly as a script reader for a production company in Beverly Hills and that was sort of my only sort of foray into sort of um, anything non-academic, non-education. Um, And then I returned to teaching for another four years, and I met my wife, and she turned me on to the National Writing Project, and I started to work in that sort of arena. Um, And when she finished her PhD at um, University of California Santa Barbara, Mm -hmm. uh, we both moved to Penn State. And when I got to Penn State... I started to go to twelve-step uh, meetings like I'd always like I always mm-hmm. have, and uh, at my first meeting, I ran into a nineteen-year-old uh, kid. He was also um, six foot four. I am six foot four. Mm-hmm. He was um, a sophomore, and he was the exact age um, that I was when I got sober. Sure. And after I gave a sort of fifteen-minute lead at one of these meetings, he said. You have to be my sponsor. He just told my story. That's awesome. Yeah. So I started working with this guy and quickly kind of got the lay of the land for at least what his life looked like. And it was depressing. I mean, the guy had five young people in his social network total um, in recovery. Mm-hmm. There were no 12-step meetings on campus. Um, there were only th- only three of the guys who were going to Penn State, and there was one woman going to Penn State, and there was um, there were sort of one to three people from town who were young getting sober, and that was the extent of the of the sure. of the of the scene. And and I'm not I think a lot of people say like well, clear there must have been hundreds that you just didn't know about. Well, I mean this is a kid who went to a meeting every single day, desperately looking for other young people. He was not finding them. Sure. Um, so, fast forward, um, a few years, I guess four, four years later, and I'm sponsoring him and I'm sponsoring really every m- m- man who asks me from, um, Penn State, and that's like every single guy in recovery at Penn mm-hmm. State, uh, and there's, it was easy to do because there were only four of them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we learned about collegiate recovery, mm-hmm. um, well, we learned, um, Bo Cleveland, who had done a lot of research, I quoted earlier, mm-hmm. had come from Texas Tech to Penn State, and he had hooked up with a faculty member um, by the name of Dory Evanson. And they had learned about the collegiate recovery program at Texas Tech, because Bo used to do his research there. And we we sort of, um, Dory put together a group of people, and Matt Russell and Kitty Harris from Texas Tech flew out to Penn State and presented in front of a group of um, sort of stakeholders we'd assembled, mm-hmm. and it was the um, the main sort of decision maker there was the vice president for student affairs, this guy Damon Sims. But there were also um, some alums in recovery. There were people from the local AA community. There were um, there were people from student affairs, from basics, from a lot of different divisions within the university had some sort of stake in the alcohol game. People sure. from counseling and psychological services. Mm-hmm and Kitty Harris and Matt Russell gave a presentation and by the end of that presentation the vice president just had sort of one question and it was what is the minimum that is required to get one of these going that's
0: awesome yeah
1: and they said you need a space on campus and you need a uh, coordinator so sort of, sort of somebody who's paid by the university to uh, to, to administer it. Mm-hmm. And so we had those things really by the beginnings of them anyway, by the end of that first week, we were given a space on campus. And, um, and this is just, this is just um, one of those things where, where it, it it's, it, to me it's, a it's, if you look at the young people's scene in State College today, I was describing sort of, five, six people total in recovery, young people. Now it's not just that there are sort of 30-something students in recovery at Penn State. There's another maybe 25 students in the local community who are in recovery. So the scene is kind of looks a lot more like the scene I got sober in at the University of Colorado, and that was a little bit of the point for me anyway from the beginning. The reason I got into this was because I looked at my sponsee Uh and I said, if this was what I found when I reached out for right. recovery, would I have even stayed sober? Right. And um, and and the answer was no. And I, then I thought, well, if it's not happening organically, if there's something about a AA mm-hmm. um, and NA that have somehow lost their attraction to Same. young people in recovery somehow, um, couldn't some sort of fellowship... Or, or some program of students at Penn State, maybe help fill that gap, and maybe just sort of help sort of scaffold something that would help recovery get established, right. where it never really never well, got in, these, Right, yeah.
0: like a, a, I mean, kind of a bridge yeah. to a 12-step program and long-term recovery. Yes. Or working alongside, because it's not a replacement necessarily, but there are unique challenges for students that are in recovery. Period. End of story, right? Just like there are unique challenges for a woman or a student parent that's, you know, different than the average student that comes to any university. You know, student parents have a different story and a different experience than just like someone, a person of color. You know, so there are unique challenges that exist in different communities. And so to be able to highlight that, and um because you like stories like I do, which is why yeah. in part I started the podcast was it was an outlet for me, it was the cathartic and therapeutic for me. However, it was so cool to hear people's stories and just for them to describe their lived experience in their own words. So which is Absolutely. incredibly powerful.
1: Well, I mean Narrative narrative exciting for me for so many reasons. I mean, the the first The first is that uh, that narrative is not just sort of a way that people communicate um, their stories. It's a little bit how they recover in the first place. Sure. Um, the sort of um, I've been you know, sort of my my dissertation sort of got, um, borrows a lot from narratology. And there's a lot of different writings about um, the transformative power of stories, right? Yeah. Of people telling their stories. There's a lot, mm-hmm. of, a lot of a lot of research, like Pennebaker's research on uh, how people recover better yeah. from from uh, trauma and mm-hmm. post traumatic stress disorder by um, by learning how to tell their story differently. Sure. And to me, the way that uh, support groups work at a certain level is that people people mean to do better in life than they're doing. Sure. Um, And they try to get better, but they don't have sufficient information Mm -hmm. or sufficient, um, you know, some people call it sufficient power. They just don't, they don't, um, they mean to be um, more honest, but they couldn't possibly. They don't have enough information to be honest. And an example I'll give of that is just sort of Everybody who eventually accepts that they have um, a substance use disorder Mm -hmm. sort of explains it as um, Sort of a lesser problem or a different problem or they reframe it in different ways. that are sort of self-serving It's only when you come to like when I first came to meetings I remember a couple different things hit me right between the eyes. Um, I think the 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 version I had was I don't have a problem I have a problem with people having a problem with me Mm -hmm. Um, I have larger appetites than other people I'm just a larger person um, than other people and um, and so like little people can sort of nip at drinks and I slug them Mm -hmm. and little people right Mm -hmm. and I'm just a I'm just a I'm just a giant like like lover of life I remember sort of
0: well, and it's a justification, yeah. right? Yes. Like, it's right. providing a rationale right. that makes sense right. and works with your framework. And to your point yeah. about um, how I narrate my story, or hmm. even so, part of it is lack of information. And I would venture hmm. to say a lack of support. Like, I had an appointment yeah. with a financial planner this morning, and he ran my credit. And it's always like, dun dun dun, right? Yeah. Like, what is it going to be? Because I already yeah. knew that it's not where I want it to be. And I can't even believe I'm saying this out loud to anyone. But, you know, one thing I learned when, by living in California was that for me, like, burying the head in the sand is not helpful. But having support and being honest about it is helpful. Mm-hmm. So what can I do from here? And so the guy said, you know what, this is not that bad. It really isn't that bad. And if you take care of this, this, and this... We'll circle back, and I'll tell you what the next step is. And it just felt so good to be like, okay, I'm getting in front of this. I'm taking ownership. I have willingness, Mm open-mindedness, honesty, right, which are key components in which I live my life. But I have support. Like I have someone that is directing me and saying, do this. This is number one. This is number two, number three. And I'm like, okay, I can follow instructions for the most part. And I do that well. But when I'm aimlessly working, like, i like, do I pay this? Or when do I, you know, how do I ne- negotiate that? Like, all of this, it seems super overwhelming. And in the past, I would have just been like, you know what, screw it. I'm not interested. Like, yeah. it's not that big of a deal. I'll deal with it when I am 30, <laughs> you know, and then right. 30 comes around. Okay, I'll just push it back to 40, you know. And so I am so grateful that today things have changed and so I am willing to take a look at things and I'm willing to hear someone who has more experience in something than I do so and he was like I'm the best one that will tell you you know and I was like listen you don't come to the yoga student and tell me how to teach a class why because that's not your arena you know I would never come to you and say oh this is how I'm gonna do it nope I'm coming here for a service you're good at it let me you know let me sit back and enjoy the ride, so to speak. So, yeah, it is important that students feel the support yeah. and just the camaraderie and community, right, that, yeah. um, that a CRP program can can provide. So what's next? So after you work on, you know, you are gathering these stories, so you're kind of information gathering, um, and then you'll do the writing, do you think anything is going to change, or do, have you found... New interest within what you're studying, where you might take that um, professionally.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it, um, it, it's related to this idea okay. that um, it's related to the same idea, really. the The idea that um, people's stories, um, people's stories change, their versions of themselves change. Mm-hmm. Um, people adapt; they um, they take up new um, they take up new uh, Almost ways of being mm-hmm. um, identity is actually you know it's conceptualized by some people really as um mm-hmm. as a self story mm-hmm. and and we are not unitarian we talked about yes we, we were about, we were together yeah.
0: friends for we we get together once a month here in in Arbor and Jason rolled in when we're all gathered at a, a mutual friend's home mm-hmm. and so we talked a lot about different identities and mm-hmm. the different hats that we wear and you know, how we relate to one another. So it's definitely a topic that comes up on this podcast a lot uh, with regards to, like, social justice and just kind of eliminating the stigma. And that's the other thing I've found as I've done, you know, it's it's not a surprise that I am interested in recovery. Um, I believe that many of us are in recovery from something and from multiple things for some people as well. And so I happen to be co-president of Students for Recovery because I believe that there is, um, I I believe and I know it to be true that communities are better when people are in recovery, that need to be in recovery. Um, So, I was going somewhere with this.
1: It's something to do with the Unitarian Consistent thing I think you're riffing off.
0: Yeah, but I have these great ideas, Jason, that hang out in my head and then... I get to the end of the sentence and I'm like where was I going with well, this
1: I'm, you're talking the most ADHD person on <laughs> the planet um, you know the channels are changing oh that's constantly. right this is what I was going to say so yeah. stigma
0: so I'm sure that CRP programs or a student for recovery type of deal what do you think in relation to its role to uh, eliminating stigma that's where I was going with it because I feel like it does eliminate some stigma, um especially if students that don't drink for whatever reason have space to spend time with one another, so that creates like kind of a subculture and a um a community of abstinence and then yeah, yeah I mean the relationship to stigma
1: the way I, you know the, the my understanding of stigma is that. The way out of stigma is by uh, involving oneself in um, in things that are larger than oneself. Sure. And And um, the, the one of the biggest parts of stigma uh, that gets removed is uh, eventually through recovery is um, is the stigma that people the shame people feel yep, themselves right. and. Um, I'm a big fan of Marsha Baxter Magolda's work, um, around self authorship uh-huh. and she talks about different, um, I don't know if you've read that. Mm-hmm. But, um, but it, it's, it reminds
0: it, me of Brené Brown, some of the works. Yeah, she's exactly. But shame you, resilience. And. Yeah, shame, it's,
1: it's all, it's real, it's related a lot to that, but the, the, the basic idea of it is that, um, is there's a sort of ratio of, um, challenge to support and, um, in a, in a book that she, um, Edited with those co-authored with different people. They talked about different populations of students that um, that traditionally uh, were not successful mm-hmm. um, in completing their college educations. And um, one author wrote about uh, Hispanic students um, who uh, were not graduating um, mm-hmm. anything near um, the rates that white people were graduating from college. And another and and there's a lot of different kinds of groups um, in college. Um, and when, there were, when these students were interviewed, they fully believed that they were not um, legitimate students at their universities. Sure. They were pretty sure that, yeah, that feeling people are having about me not being, not being able to be successful, they're right. Um, I will probably not be successful. Mm-hmm. But you attach that student to, the, to an Hispanic student union Get everyone together, and there were a couple of results that I've seen. And, and this is not just this one. This is an example that mm-hmm. was across a lot of different groups. You get the group of people together. You um, you have them talk about um, sort of. You have examples of people that are successful. You have mm-hmm. examples of people that can talk about how that stigma is not necessarily something um, that is even true. It's not something that certainly you have to you you have to believe in, mm-hmm. and. There. So what happens is that that in those populations, those students almost always, instead of just becoming um, self fulfilling. Well, yeah, it's not the self fulfilling. The, mm-hmm. Yeah, the self fulfilling prophecy is disrupted. Mm-hmm. They, interestingly, they not just become a small tight knit community that is not integrated in the community. They report having many, many more friends of all different races okay. than they had before they got involved in the Hispanic Student Union. And the last thing that happens typically sort of in this process is they no longer believe that they have to fail, um, that, that they know, they don't believe in the self-fulfilling prophecy narrative anymore. What the really exciting Takeaway I get from Marsha Baxter um, uh research um, and some developmental studies and whatnot in the higher education literature is that these students almost all outperform over the um, the the mean student at the, mm-hmm. at, the at the university, the sort of average um, GPAs, they have higher higher average GPAs, they graduate at higher rates. So you can take a student without a sort of an Hispanic Student Union or without a collegiate recovery program, and they do, they do an incredible amount of failing in, in, mm-hmm. in, in higher education. You give them proper peer supports, and you give them a proper community, and you give them the sort of that you sanction it as an official mm-hmm. university project. That's right. And these students will turn that challenge and that adversity um, with the help of all the support, and they will outperform over the, the typical student. It's now, I think, common, or at least I read a lot about different people who are coming all to the same conclusion that you actually don't want to go to college and not struggle. Mm-hmm. You want to have significant adversity and find the support to overcome it. And this is ultimately um, a propellant of, um, of 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 growth of 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 becoming a, a, a it's a, it's a propellant for growth it's a mm-hmm. propellant for success in life and um and the idea that you should be um if you go to school friction free it's a very sure. good way of not um uh that that tension that tension is good for people yeah. um but as we said without that support they would wipe out completely so
0: they, well and i mean yeah. i don't appreciate the summer in Michigan without crappy days like today and yesterday. Right. That's the truth. Like, right. I just don't, I don't know if it's the way I'm wired, but I just don't appreciate it. Um, There was a funny story, a joke, yeah. my dad's a pastor and a retired professor, and so the joke is that this pastor always had something positive to say, and it was raining on this particular Sunday, and people were like, I wonder what he's going to say, because it's raining, it's bad, blah, 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 and he said, I'm just grateful that it's not like this every day. So he still had something positive to say while still mm-hmm. acknowledging what was going around. And and yeah, community is incredibly important. And just recognizing that there can be you're the author of your story. Now there's a whole host of things that can get in the way. Absolutely. Like I am not dense and I know that if you don't have boots, there's really not a way to pull yourself up from the bootstraps. And that's why I say often there are no self made people (laughs) because we need one another. We need community. We need people that are going to say on the days that we feel like we're not able to do whatever it is oh, no, you can totally do it. You're just having an off day. Uh, So, yeah, that's really, really powerful. Now, before we wrap up, because it's getting to be that time, sadly. Any thoughts on any changes that might uh, impact students when it comes to the changing administration and what's happening in DC, or not necessarily?
1: I don't really have any comment about okay. sort of Trump, uh, you know, and and what he, what his administration is going to mean, because um, I don't think anybody really understands yet what direction. Um, what direction he's going to take, um, different uh, offices in the, in the White House and whatnot. In them, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, I think the most exciting change in uh, as far as the landscape of young people in sort of addiction and recovery mm-hmm. is that the old thinking that you um, that if you have a substance use disorder and you like you maybe are going to college and you wipe out the old, the old advice was to never go back to college. Right. And, or if you were to go back to college, to wait five years. And there was a whole sort of system around sort of keeping young people who had failed out of college, um, or who had been kicked out of college or had just left college, um, in long-term transitional living and kind of working, uh, uh, sort of unskilled jobs and whatnot and in the idea of being sort of like after some amount of time they could return and then maybe then they would be successful but a lot of these students were a lot of these I mean a lot of these young people were um, they just weren't finding a lot of success they weren't putting anything like five years together because um, they weren't they they, they they weren't sort of doing anything to sort of further themselves besides working a recovery program.
0: Oh, they weren't challenged.
1: Yeah, they weren't challenged and also they were, they looked around at their friends who had finished college and sure. how they moved ahead and um, and objectively, you, you know, you can talk about how your success in recovery, but objectively by the measures that other people use often to measure success, they felt like losers a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And this is not, I don't actually, I don't feel that these people are are losers, but I would imagine that if I were um, working um, a sort of minimum wage job deep into my 20s, um, I would have felt like a loser. Um, Well, comparison is the thief of
0: joy, that is a fact. And so that's why social media can be problematic sometimes because you see what other people are doing and what they have and where they are, and you compare yourself there. So yes, I agree. You wouldn't call anyone a loser. However, that's I would call myself what? one though. Totally
1: right. So the so the difference now in this in this paradigm is that um, more and more sort of treatment centers are starting to give the advice that is really pretty much as soon as you've stabilized, and this usually takes sort of three to six months, maybe yeah. maybe a year, of high quality acute care treatment. After that's accomplished, that they should get like really almost immediately get back into college with the support of a collegiate recovery program. And because there's sort of there's sort of 150 in the works and there's kind of, I don't know, let's say fifty that are full function, like University of Michigan, like Penn State, like Texas Tech, like Rutgers, like mm-hmm. Kennesaw State, like right, there's sort of fifty that are online right now and yeah. uh, that are that are that are fully up to the task of supporting mm-hmm. someone someone in that situation Mm -hmm. Um, because of that um, and I think that there eventually should be hundreds of these um, and that that's going to change the entire landscape and I think as far as you're talking about in order to bootstrap you need to have boots uh, the way I look about that look at that a little bit is I think that more and more people are starting to see that socioeconomics has a lot to do with recovery and 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 not in sort of a way a lot of people talk about which is that like you know you're in a better position to get acute care treatment Mm -hmm. if you're um somebody from privilege or something like that but really it's more like um if you have goals and purposes and a sense of vocation in recovery find meaningful work um put yourself in a position um to not have to struggle every day um to feed yourself and that sort of thing, right. then you have the time to pursue a lot of other things that, are, that, that account for happiness in life. And so, um, recovery and education are the most fantastic pairing in the world because with education, um, with recovery, education becomes possible. With education, um, with recovery, education becomes possible, education then sort of makes recovery a lot easier. And, um, and between those two, I mean, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good um, foundation for living, really for the rest of your life.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that's awesome. Thanks so much. I really appreciate that we were able to squeeze this in. Friends, we literally decided this two days ago. So, it's how we roll over here at this podcast. All right, so I have three short stories uh, from Humans of New York, this Stories edition. So there's uh, what appears to be a woman and a man, and it says, when I was little, he'd let me stand on his feet when we walked in the ocean because I was so afraid of jellyfish. So maybe a father and daughter. And then another person down below, it says, my dad is being a huge asshole right now. He told me all I do is cost him money. I don't care if you write that. I already did an art piece about it. So that's what they say. And then there's a married couple. And it says, she does her thing, I do my thing. We interact in between. We've been married 30 years, and that's how we like it. So sounds good. So thanks for being here again. Thank you. And friends, I will get contact information and information more about Collegiate Recovery Programs so that you can see if you're near one, if you need one. Uh, parents, guardians, this is good for you as well. So I'll get, I'll get that information absolutely in the show notes. So before we take off, thanks so much for the love and support. I always appreciate and love hearing from you. Chidima at the com. I honor the place within you where the entire universe resides i honor the place within you of love of light of truth of peace i honor the place within you where when you are in that place in you and i'm in that place in me there is only one of us have a great one my name is Chidima, also known as the taipei hippie namaste